I need you to turn your Bibles tonight with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I want to help you tonight uh, from the Word of God. I believe that what we'll be studying tonight will help us all in Psalm 19. We will continue tonight along the thought about pride. I did my best this morning to try to describe it just a little bit for you, that God considers pride to be a very, very serious, wicked, evil thing, and that God resists the proud. If, if, you, if what you have, if you truly are a Christian, and it doesn't seem to be working for you, now that can be based on some ignorance that you possess, and maybe you need to learn more about your Bible, but if you have already acquired some knowledge and it's not working, you really do need this message tonight. You need to diagnose yourself, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We are going to diagnose ourselves for this area of, is it possible for you and I to self-diagnose some things in our lives? I think so. You have to be careful. I can only go so far, uh, you know, but you need to be able to do that. All right, look in Psalm 19. Look what the writer says here in verse number 12. The Bible says, who can understand his errors? I'll confess that I can understand some, but I'll also have to admit that there's some that are getting past me. And the Bible says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. He says, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins, because that's where pride will lead you into an arrogant uh, life of making some foolish, presumptuous sins. He said, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, because that's where pride is going to leak out of you. And the meditation of my heart, because that's where it begins. Be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Now look over in Psalm 139. Look what the psalmist says here in Psalm 139. You came tonight because you love the Lord. You came tonight because you believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Look with me in Psalm 139. Look what the writer says here. And you need to do this on a regular basis. You need to examine yourself. You need to judge yourself. Uh, You need to talk to God to search your heart. The Bible says in verse 23, he said, search me. He didn't say search my neighbor or search my wife or my husband or my teenager. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is that your attitude tonight, that you want the Lord to put His finger on anything in your life that might be grieving Him, that would cause Him to resist you and to withhold some of His grace and some of His peace and some of His power? Would God do that? Yes, He would. God does resist the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, I desire to be a blessing. I pray You'd make me one. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us. 
ask you to forgive me, Lord, of the pride in my heart, and some of it, Lord, I don't even see yet. There just seems to be so many layers, Lord, in us. And I pray you'd help me tonight that you could use me to minister to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. What is one of the problems that we face in examining ourselves and judging ourselves? And it's just we're the only ones doing it. What's the real danger in that? Did not Jeremiah warn us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and the heart is desperately wicked? And so the Bible says a man that trusts in his own heart is a fool. So when you rely totally upon, well, I I just feel it or I feel this or I feel that, and you don't search out the Word of God, and what does God think about it? You're in trouble. And so I want to encourage you tonight. So I want, though, I want to give you some, uh, maybe some self-test tonight and how that God uses other people to check on us as well in these particular areas. I think the things that I'm going to mention to you, and I'm going to mention them quickly. There are seven of them, and I'm going to ask you these questions. And I believe that a proud person can be easily offended by any of these seven. So I need you to turn with me to the New Testament. That's where we'll spend most of the evening. Turn with me, please, if you would, to Acts chapter number 18. Acts chapter number 18. Here is the first question. Not necessarily in this order, but here is the first question. Meaning, when I say not necessarily in this order, I don't mean of priority or preeminence as far as the question. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 and verse number 24, ask yourself this, am I a teachable and changeable person? Am I teachable and changeable? Are you? What, what, how would you define stubborn? Huh? Stubborn is when you just absolutely refuse to change, even though the Lord may show you something in your life, but you're too proud to make that adjustment in your heart. Now, look what he says here. Let's look at Apollos. He's going to be in a couple of these examples. Verse 24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So he's had some success. He's a, in the ministry, a good speaker. He knows the Old Testament, I think, up and down very well. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. So he has been teachable in the past. Sometimes when you learn some things and you've gone through some classes, you'll get the idea that you have arrived. That you're not, you know, that you're now, you know, you've got it. But I think that we all must remain teachable and students of the Word no matter our age. All right, verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. So he's gotten some good teaching. I don't know, maybe he went to an Old Testament Bible school. Somebody gave him some good stuff. Might have been Gamaliel. I don't know. The Bible says that, and being fervent in the Spirit, he's sincere. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So his knowledge, however, is limited. But he's not aware that it's limited. And so, verse 26 says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, who when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, 
they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Now, right there in a nutshell would determine whether or not you are teachable and changeable and whether or not you have pride that just swells up in you to the point that you cannot be instructed or changed in your life. Now, look, the Bible says, listen, Aquila and Priscilla were not famous team of evangelists. Uh, This was a husband and wife who loved the Lord who had sat at the feet of the Apostle Paul and they had discussed the scriptures and they were, they were, you might see just a, a couple that had their own private business and they would invite preachers into their home and even started a church in their home. So they were used to being around men of God and they wanted to be a blessing. Well, in the process of doing that, they learn some things. And you know what? When you become a servant and you're a blessing to a lot of different men of God, God will see to it that good men of God will cross your path and you'll learn some things that you didn't know before if you're teachable. And listen, if you're teachable and changeable, you become usable. And they were usable. And so they pulled this guy aside. Don't you think that they probably were very careful how they approached him? Because he was a mighty teacher and very well-spoken. I mean, you know, if you've ever heard some, some men speak, you can tell that some are very eloquent in their ability to articulate the truth. Uh, I think David Gibbs is one of those. He is one of those lawyer-type ministers who is very good at telling illustrations and very good at making his point. He's a lawyer. He knows how to present his case, and he does it for Christianity as well. And so can you imagine if he was at a, at a seminar or maybe he was at a Bible conference and you heard him say something and you said, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's, that's not right. Things have changed since then. We need to talk to him. And so they ask him and you pull him aside and they say, hey, brother, listen, everything that you said was true, but some things have changed. The things that you know were right. But you need to know that some of these things have been fulfilled and Jesus Christ is the Messiah and He is the Lord. And we're going to show you from the Scriptures if you're going to be changed. I think you ought to be strong-willed but not self-willed. I think you ought to change but be hard to change. Because if you're hard to change, then just somebody just can't come along and talk you out of what you've learned. But you ought to be changeable. And so he presented his case and said, Hey, here it is in the Word of God. He fulfilled all these things. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And the Bible says in verse 27, And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace. So what is he teaching now? For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the Scriptures that Jesus was Christ. His emphasis was on John the Baptist and his baptism. Now his emphasis is on the Lord Jesus Christ and that he is the way of salvation and fulfill the scriptures. That's one way you can tell that you're growing and changing. That no longer are, is your emphasis on someone else, but it, rather it is on the Lord Jesus Christ and him being the preeminent one. So I ask you a question tonight. Are you teachable? Are you? Are you correctable in the meaning Can you change some things in your life? Now, because the word correctable, that's different. Teachable is what I'm looking for. Changeable is what I'm looking for. Are you? All right, now look with me in Galatians chapter number 2. That would be Apollos. What about this question, am I correctable? 
Look in Galatians chapter number 2. Now listen again. We, uh, we may say amen while the preacher is saying these things, but in real life, everyday life, are you correctable? Can someone correct you? Look in Galatians 2, and I'm talking about you've had some success. I'm talking about you've had some development. You have some maturity about you. We expect an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 15-year-old to be correctable, and maybe even a 22-year-old. Peter's a grown man here now, and he's experienced Pentecost. He's had 3,000 people saved under one sermon. And brother, God has richly blessed this man. He has even been called to raise a woman from the dead. And he was so powerful that even his shadow would make a difference if it fell upon you if you were sick and you were ill. How about that? Now who is going to correct you? And the Bible says here in Galatians 2, look at this. Look, now this is where uh, that he, uh, Paul shows up at Antioch and uh, Peter has backslidden a little bit and he's afraid of men here and he confuses the saints here that this church about law and grace. Verse 11, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. How would you react if somebody got in your face tonight because you were hurting the church? Hmm? What if one of our men caught you in the parking lot out there and got in your face? Not because they were angry necessarily had had something to pick with you and a bone to pick with you, but they saw that you were hurting this assembly. But what if they even... Got in your face publicly in front of the church. How would, can you take that? I'm going to say that would be hard to take. Now watch. Verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And then he lays out his case. How did Peter take it? Well, how do we know how he took it? Well, we know by the letters that he wrote later. In 2 Peter, he mentioned the Apostle Paul. And he mentioned him in a positive way. And he said even that even concerning eschatology, that they needed to listen to what he had to say, even though some of the things he had to say were hard to understand. I admire a man. I would like to be like that if I'm hurting you and you brought it to my attention. I'd like to know that, first of all, I'd hope you'd come to me in private, not like he did. But what he did was public. So it had to be dealt with publicly. But I would encourage you, if you could, approach me. I hope that you could. And we discussed it. And once you've convinced me that what I did was wrong, then I hope I would have enough humility and I have enough honesty and I have enough grace to stand up and fix it publicly. Because sometimes we'll do something publicly and somebody shows it to us and then we'll say, well, you know what, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, but what about all the people that you impacted? Are you willing to fix that? 
So I ask you this question, are you correctable? Now let me show you a verse that's very important right here. I want you to turn, keep your hand right here where you are and turn to Ecclesiastes real quick. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. This will be now for our grown, sometimes white-haired men right here. Okay? This will be for you men who are fathers and grandfathers. Or maybe you may not even have any children. I don't know, but I'm saying that you're older. But I want you to look in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and look with me in verse number 13. You never want to be so proud that you cannot be admonished. Now look what he says here in chapter 4 verse 13. He says this, look, better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Now there are certain respects and reverences that should come with the gray hair and with authority and with age that all children should respect and respond to. And if you're ever going to speak to someone in authority or someone that is older than you, Paul even wrote to Timothy and said, you need to talk to them with respect and treat them as you would your father. But here's a man, here's a king, he's got counselors, and they're trying to admonish him for the sake of the people. And that king now has become old and foolish. I don't want to become so old that God cannot use people younger than myself to speak to my heart. And God's using them to help me to stay close to Him and to walk with Him and to minister correctly to those who are underneath my authority. Can you? Can you? So you ask yourself, are you correctable? Are you admonishable? Okay? Now turn with me quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. I need to hear those pages turning so you don't fall asleep in this heat, all right? 1 Corinthians 16. And by the way, if you turn them fast enough, I'll feel the fan up here. You understand? 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Look at this. Am I teachable? Am I correctable? And am I flexible? All right? Look in chapter 16, verse number 12. Because a proud heart usually will try to dominate the wills of other men and women. In other words, it's, 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 it's got to be on your time schedule. It's got to be your way. It's got to be what you want and how it pleases you. Well, you're not going to be able to minister to a church body and be a blessing to God's people if you are inflexible with some of these things. Now watch what he says here. This is Paul now, and he's speaking about what he wants with Apollos. Verse 12, he said, As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Are you offended when people do not respond to you and work on things according to your will? 
Because sometimes your will is not going to be their will. Sometimes it is a matter of wills, not necessarily God's will, but maybe your will and their will. And if you're offended because they don't seem to always work it in for your will, and you're upset with people because they don't work on your time schedule, then you got a problem. And sometimes even parents can do that to their own grown children. Sometimes grandparents can do that to their own children and grandchildren, forgetting that they also have a life and forgetting that they also have a will and imposing this upon other people. So I ask you this, are you flexible? You know what? If the Paul had called me up and said, Brother Roger, I need you to come down here to Antioch. We're having a Bible conference. Uh, I don't know what you got on your calendar, but I want you to be down here at such and such date. Now, most of us would have said, okay, whatever's on the calendar, we're fixing to cancel it, and we're going to be right there. But Apollos, I don't think Apollos was a self-willed man. I think he just said, listen, brother, I'd like to be with you, but listen, I just can't do that at this time. It's not going to work out. I've got some other things planned. I've got other things to do. And it's not going to work out. So the Apostle Paul then took this and wrote it for me and you to help us to understand that when people say no, it doesn't mean that they are rejecting us. And we don't have to get all worked up about it because maybe they didn't come to your, maybe you had something going on at your house and they couldn't make it. Maybe you had some kind of event at the church and maybe your class and maybe that mother and dad said, no, I can't make it this time. And they don't even have to explain it to you. They don't have to. You understand, this is where sometimes we get offended because we take everything personal rather than allowing people the liberty to exercise their own will with their own life and their own time and their own gifts. Okay? And so, notice this. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. Here's the fourth question. All right? Fourth question. Am I teachable? Am I correctable? Am I flexible with other people? I hope that you are. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 10. This is important. Am I available? Am I available? Am I usable? Look in 1 Peter 4, verse number 10. It is not an act of humility when you hold back on us with the gifts that God has blessed you with. Because you say, I'm too shy, I'm this, I'm that. The Bible says you need to make yourself available because that is, my friend, the will of God. Now, I know there's timing for everything. I just mentioned that. But make yourself available. Look at this. Look in chapter 4, verse 10. Now, there are some people who push themselves on you, but then you need to always be available. Look in verse, chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift... Even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. Your ability is of no value without availability. You must be available. Make yourself available. Let God work out the timing, but make yourself available. Say, brother, however you can use me at the church. Now, listen, don't say that without meaning that. 
Because if I ask you to do something, and it's not what you were expecting, and if you get your feelings hurt, it's because you weren't sincere when you told me, I'm available. I'm available. Can I be used? And I want to be used by the Lord. And listen, this is so important. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that God's gifted every one of you. And we need you not to be so proud. And listen, by the way, if you ever do something sometime, there's always a risk of being misunderstood. There's a risk of maybe uh, not doing real good the first time you tried it. Uh, you You may get out there and you might be a little embarrassed of how it turned out. But you can't be like a spider in a spider web and being sensitive to everybody's ideas and, and opinions when you try to serve the Lord. Do your best and make yourself available to serve the Lord. And you've been very good about that. I say you have. But I pray for each one of you that you would not sit back and just what we call, we don't want to be spectators, we want to be participators. And there's timing for that. Timing for that. And so I pray that you would be available. Okay? Now, I need you to turn to James chapter 3. You're not very far away from that. Just a few pages back to your left. Look with me in chapter number 3. Am I teachable? Am I correctable? Am I flexible? When I say am I correctable, am I correctable? Listen, don't be. Don't be so sensitive that someone cannot speak firmly to you. Show thyself to be a man. And take it. Think about it. Be correctable. Be flexible. Be available. Look at James chapter 3. Look at this. He says in verse number 13, Who is a wise man and then do with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So obviously he's made himself available. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. In other words, you're not being honest. He said, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And where devilish is, there is pride, and there is contention, and there is division. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But notice this. Here's the other question. Am I approachable? Am I approachable? If somebody approaches you to ask you for counsel, that's great. Are you approachable to be spoken to? Are you approachable? Maybe somebody wants to talk to you about somebody in your family. Are you approachable? Do you know how difficult that is? When somebody approaches you to speak to you about your son or your daughter or your wife or your husband, that is very difficult because you're very fearful of how that may be received and how that might go. I mean, it, it really is dangerous ground. So you better be sure that you got your facts. All right? But notice what he says here. He says in verse number 16, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, and gentle, and look at the next word, is easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So are you approachable? Are you? Can people approach you and speak to you about something that might be an unpleasant thing to speak to you about? You say, I don't understand why. And here's what happens sometimes, is that somebody sometimes does not talk to you about something 
they saw something and, and they witnessed something and they wanted to talk to you about something, but they didn't say anything to you. It got worse down the road and then you found out they knew about it and then you chewed on them and said, how come you did not come to me about this? You know what the question ought to be? Why couldn't they come to me? And a lot of times, a wife may want to talk to a husband and he says, how come you didn't talk to me about that? You need to ask your, the question should be is, why couldn't she come to you and talk to you about that? Hmm? Do you get angry? Do you fly off the handle? Those kind of things. Am I approachable? You think about that, okay? And um, I really like this one. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I, I, think you over, I, I think probably you haven't seen this one. I, I'm not saying that out of pride. I don't want any pride tonight in this message. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. But I, I hope that you'll receive this in the spirit of meekness. I pray that you would. Am I teachable? Am I correctable? Am I flexible? Am I available? I'd like to be all of these things in my home. And in my church. And on my job. Am I approachable? And uh, how about this one? Second Corinthians chapter 8. Look at this. If you mark in your Bible, I'd like for you to mark this. Verse 16. I hope I've got the right passage. Second Corinthians chapter number 8. And verse number 16. Let's read that. I hope, when I, I'll come across it. I'll let you know if it's the right one in just a minute. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation. But being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother. I want you to highlight those words. The brother. No name. No name. The brother. Look down in verse number 22. And we have sent with them our brother. So, I'm going to ask you this question. Am I neglectable? And am I unnoticeable? You say, That's, that don't make sense to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. Because if you're involved in something... And somebody else's name is mentioned. But your name is not mentioned. Are you upset about that? Are you offended by that? Every time that I praise someone and give them honor in this assembly for something that they have done, there is always the danger that someone was overlooked. A name was not mentioned. And you're sitting there and you say, I was there. I helped. I did some of that. They didn't do that by themselves. You mentioned their name, but you didn't mention my name. You mentioned their name and you said them. Her and them. Him, his name, and them. Well, I wasn't trying to be correct with my pronouns. I'm just telling you sometimes God on purpose will see to it that your name 
is not mentioned. To see what your motive is for what you do around here and the things of God. Because maybe you work twice as hard as somebody else at doing some things around here. And they got all of the public credit and you got little or none and you go home and it stung just a little bit. And the Lord's going to say, okay, you didn't get any glory tonight. Now, what was your motive? Did you do that to be noticed? Or did you do that to be a benefit to the church and for my glory? Because I saw it. I kept a record. I know you did that. And maybe you're just called our brother. Maybe you're just called our sister. But your name was not mentioned. And by the way... Let me, let me give you some advice on that. Sometimes when your name is mentioned and you're praised about something, sometimes people become envious of you rather than appreciating what you've done. There's, there's so much flesh on us. It's just rotten about some of this stuff. But I have, I have determined in my heart as a pastor no more to be concerned about people who get themselves worked and been out of shape if their name is not mentioned because the Apostle Paul mentioned names of people he was thankful for, grateful for, but he didn't mention every one of them by their personal name. And sometimes you're going to be overlooked. So I'm asking you a question tonight. Must I be mentioned by name if I do something around here? Am I okay if I am overlooked? I will say the Lord sometimes will see to it that you are for that purpose. To see what your motive is. And the last one is, am I reasonable? Well, yeah, I think I am, Brother Roger. Well, listen. Paul prayed to be delivered from unreasonable men. You can miss a lot of blessings because you are an unreasonable person. There was a man who was eat up with leprosy. He was a Soldier, a famous man by the name of Naaman. And it was eating him away. He was an honorable man. Nobody in the kingdom could help him. No physician. No one. A little maid. Her name is not mentioned. A little maid. Said, boy, if you was over where I came from, there's a man over there who can help you. He heard that. It got back to him. He inquired of this. She gave him some information. He goes to Israel looking to meet the king so he would figure that, hey, you know, I'm I'm a big guy. I'm a famous guy. Everybody knows me. I've got leprosy. And surely this is going to be a dramatic public event where I'm going to be healed. So he goes to the king. The king says, I I, I can't help you. Are you trying to start a war? what's, What's the problem here? He finds out where Elisha is and he goes and he knocks on his door. Elisha will not even go to the door. In his mind, he's a big wig. In Elisha's mind, he's just another guy. It would be, it would be good for you, regardless of how many, uh, accolades you have, what kind of uniform you may wear, or how much, uh, popularity you have that you would not let it swell your head that you think that people are going to think so high of you that they should serve you when you go somewhere. Elisha 
tells his servant, go tell that man, that famous soldier, go down there and tell him to go down to that Jordan River and dip in it seven times. Now, Sister Marsha Goodrich was in Israel recently. She saw what the Jordan River looks like. At the very, very beginning of the Jordan River, it's beautiful. By the time it gets down there where Jesus was baptized, it looks like a mud hole. It's dirty water looking. And that man said, listen, do you understand what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to get in this dirty river here in Israel and back where I came from. What's the name of that river over there around San Marcos that's crystal clear? The Guadalupe River? Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten in one of those boats that's got a glass bottom on it and you can see? I mean, that water's beautiful. That's, he said, listen, we've got rivers like that. He said, we've got beautiful waters and you want me to go down there and get in that water seven times. Who do you think you're talking to? All right, he's fixing to leave. He came with leprosy. He's fixing to leave with leprosy. However, he was not an unreasonable man. Because God will check your pride and have someone who is beneath you who's not as strong as you, smart as you. That servant, his servants came up to him and said, Hey, man, hey, listen, listen to me. I said, would you, would you listen to us for just a second? We came all the way over here to get you healed. And by the way, if he had asked you to do something that was great and monumental, would you have done it? He said, well, yeah, I would have done that. They said, well, why can't you do something that's simple? Just do what he said. And he thought about that and he said, you know what? That's right. Why am I being such a gourd head? And he went down in the water seven times and he came back up clean. And he went back to the man of God with a different attitude. And he said, man, here's my stuff. You truly do serve the living God. And he says, listen, i got to go back to work. And he said, when I get back to work, my boss is going to make me go into his temple. And when he gets ready to kneel down, I'll have to kneel down beside him. But I don't mean nothing by that. I want you to know that I worship in the true God. I want you to understand it. And Elijah said, that's okay. Just go on back. That's all right. And I'm just saying that sometimes you lose some blessings because you're expecting too much. And you won't listen to folks that are trying to help you with some simple instructions. You want, you want a dramatic change where God gives you some simple steps to do what is right. So you want God to call fire down from heaven and fix your marriage rather than some servant of God saying, listen, you know, if you just go home and sit down with your wife and look her in the eye and say, honey, I'm sorry for being so stubborn and selfish and self-centered. Would you forgive me? And honey, would you help me to be a better man? You say, well, that's too simple. I need God to fix her. I don't need God to fix me. See, that's the way proud men are. But a lot of men, I'm just saying that, guys, I'm asking you tonight, are you a reasonable individual about some things where you need some help? Because a lot of times you're expecting something. You think your situation is really big. And in reality, it's really simple if you'd humble yourself 
and do what the Lord told you to do. Well, let's close with these thoughts. Turn with me to Psalm 73 and let's go to the house. Y'all have kept me long enough. Psalm 73, look with me in verse 17. Mark these verses down because here's what God will do. When you examine yourself and you self-diagnose yourself, sometimes you still miss it. And so what God will do is He'll use the house of God, the Word of God, and probably your pastor to help you. You remember this morning when I was talking about Saul and, uh, so, and he was asked about what he had done in 1 Samuel 15 and he said, man, I performed the commandments of the Lord. You know who he needed to help him diagnose his pride? He needed his preacher. His preacher loved him and grieved over his pride and said, sir, You have not performed the commandments of the Lord. You're not walking with God as you think you are. And sometimes if a pastor loves you, he's willing to tell you the truth, knowing that he might lose you because he loves you. You understand? And so sometimes God will use the preacher and the pastor to just totally say, hey, listen, you're missing this. You don't see this. There's a blind spot right here. Psalm 73, verse number 17. Look at this. Look at verse 17. Sometimes you miss your self-diagnosis. That's why you need to go to church. Well, you go to church, God can really put some light on some stuff in your life. Verse 17 says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I. God uses church to help you to see some things in your life. That's why you need to come to the house of God, being more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Psalm 141, verse 5. Would you turn there? It'll be our last verse, and we're going to pray. Psalm 141, and look with me there in verse number 5. And sometimes it's going to be just simply an honest to God, good brother in your church. And sometimes we just need somebody to look at us and say, hey, tell me what you see. If things ain't working, ask somebody that loves you enough to be honest with you. Be ready for a little bit of pain. Be ready for a little bit of pain. Pride has never, never, never accepted being dealt with and laughed about it. Never. Psalm 144. One, look at verse number five. Look at this. Sometimes you need a brother. It says, let the righteous smite me, and it shall be a kindness. I preached a message here one night on let somebody slap me. Now, don't take me up tonight. But what he meant by that was sometimes, just as an example of this, not really doing it, but sometimes I'm just... In a spiritual manner, somebody needs to just whack you on and say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And it says in verse number 5, it says, let the righteous smite me and it shall be a kindness. And let him reprove me and it shall be excellent oil which shall not break my beard and yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. But the prayer here that he's saying is, hey, listen, love me enough to help me. And love me enough to diagnose me. More than you need a psychiatrist and a psychologist to look at every rock that you turned over when you was a kid. 
You need your church, the Holy Ghost, an honest conscience, and a man of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. And I promise you, they'll help you get back on track. Now, you might be wounded in the process, but you need to let that wound become a scar. Let it heal. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Father in heaven, I pray you'll bless these dear saints of God. May our hearts be tender to the truth. May we search ourselves and may we be willing to be searched. And thank you for the scriptures. And thank you for being merciful and kind and long-suffering and forbearing with us. And may we be the same with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.